Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, and uh, uh, of course not all that could be said has been said about wine in the Bible, but I, I think we covered all the main bases very uh, thoroughly and uh, dealt with uh, the issue a- as much as we can. And uh, tonight what I'd like for us to do is just take a, a few moments and go through a couple verses that uh, we, we need to remind our, ourselves of. And uh, just two verses as the writer of Hebrews is closing here. He is giving separate commands in in a succession, uh, much like the Apostle Paul has, and many believe that the Apostle Paul was the author of Hebrews, though it was unsigned, but two verses here, verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews chapter 13, it says, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said... I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So, this is just one of the many commands. He talks about let brotherly love continue, entertaining strangers, uh, being um, uh, remembering those that are in prison, uh, be, living pure lives and, and maintaining our marriages, then our command here, and then uh, being faithful in the church, and, uh, and all of these things. But this one little set here, verses 5 and 6, it says, Let your conversation... Now, the word conversation uh, is a, one of those big words. It's a generic word in that sense, and it, it just simply means your life. Today, when we use the word conversation, we say, well, I had a conversation with somebody. That means you, you talked with somebody. And usually, in order to have a real conversation, the other person talks back. Uh, have you ever had a conversation with somebody who already knew what they were going to talk to you about and they really had the whole thing planned out? That's not a conversation. Amen? Uh, but the idea here is with... In the Bible, the original sense, the broader sense of this word as it was used in 1611 in the English language, it meant your entire life. The way you talk, the way you carried yourself, uh, who you are as a person, the order of your life. If someone was going to examine you, this, this is the word that they would use. And it says... Let your conversation be without covetousness. Now, the idea of of covetousness is wanting things that we don't have. I mean, you cannot get away from it. Somehow, in the last six weeks, I don't know if this has happened to anyone else, but I am getting anywhere from 10 to 20 calls a week on my cell phone, trying to offer me things that I don't want. Uh, How many of you have noticed that, I mean, the 
uh, it just seems like the, uh, uh, the, the, the long arm of advertisers is reaching everywhere. You can't get on the subway. You can't open your mail. You cannot uh, watch, uh, if you watch television, you can't even go on the Internet. Most, uh, most websites are full of advertising. You can't even read your email anymore without people trying to get you to want something. And, and the Bible says that we need to be careful about our life that it doesn't consist of things that we want. Uh, I think one of the um, uh, the new catchphrases now is your bucket list, right? Uh, these are the things that you just got to do before you die. Now, uh, we we need to be careful here. It says that not ought, that ought not to be the driving influence of our life, and it says and be content with such things. As ye have. You know, I, I've met so many people in their 50s and 60s who are talking like they're teenagers. And this is what I'm going to do when I finally get everything in order. Uh, I want to challenge you. Don't live like that. It says that we can be content with what God has given us. Why? What is the reason for this contentment? What is the answer for the covetousness that runs everything in this world? For he has said, and do I need to take time to evaluate the word he? Uh, I think we know who he is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, Every time I read one of these passages, I still think of that preacher that just got excited. This was back in the 70s during the Cold War. And he was talking about how that they're going to fly the hammer and sickle over the White House and that the communists are going to come and they're going to take away everything. And he started talking about they'll take away our churches and our Bibles and our freedom and all we'll have left is Jesus. And he stopped and realized what he had just said. You see, this is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. That that's all we need. But I don't know about you. We've, all of us have spent a lot of time this week pursuing other things now, haven't we? And uh, I talked to a man uh, actually several weeks ago and... and uh, he said that he wanted to help us in a very serious way with union, and I want you to pray about that. And uh, I started work on the application several times, and, and I found out it's due tomorrow. And so, you wonder what I've been doing all day? Filling out this application, because Lord willing, he, he will give us a grant that will finish the wall project at Union. And then once we do that, then, uh, well, my wife says, you always say it's going to be over. It's never going to be over. Yes, I understand that. Uh, but uh, this, this would uh, 
uh, really put us on a solid, solid footing for the future and not have to worry about things and be concerned. So pray about that. But, but here's the problem. Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And here is the purpose of our life. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what men shall do unto me. Wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony? I mean, the writer of Hebrews has just put these two verses in there to help us. And, and uh, uh, we, we live in a time and in a place. Uh, I just love the picking of the songs tonight. I will never leave thee alone. I mean, that's the promise that is here. Jesus is going to keep us. He, if we would be satisfied with Christ we would truly be satisfied with life. Amen? And oftentimes, our work and the things that we are trying to do are the very things that cut us off from the blessings that Jesus wants us to have. And so, as I looked at this promise, I began to think, and I said, you know, uh, uh, I've been just in my own mind running on this theme of the Bible being its own best commentary. And so so tonight, the title of the message is Jacob's Commentary on Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. And so what we're going to do is turn to the book of Genesis. And not all commentary is positive, by the way. Sometimes you can really understand something uh, even much better and much more thoroughly if you examine the negative side of things. And honestly, how, my, how, much, how many more times do I find myself on the negative side of things than the positive side of things? Uh, am I the only one that does that? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, and what we're going to see in Jacob's life is he is going to illustrate perfectly the blessings that you miss by not paying attention to this command. How many of you already got half my sermon preached in your own mind? Because you know the story of Jacob. And so tonight we'll, uh, we'll review this, but let's just start in chapter 25. Chapter 25. And how many have been a victim of circumstance in your life. I mean, there are just things that happened you had no control over, and you just seemed to be moved along with the flow of events, and there was just very little you could do about it. You ever been there? We all have, haven't we? Right? Not a very pleasant thing until we stop and evaluate. Jesus said... I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So who is bigger than the circumstances that we face? Well, Jesus is, isn't he? Uh, but we forget that from time to time, don't we? we? We misplace our... I mean, Jacob had some things that were against him. His name. How many of you remember Jacob's name? Genesis chapter 25. What does his name mean? He'll grab her. Deceiver. How would you like to be known as the deceiver, the trickster? 
the guy that was never quite honest with everything. That would be a, a great name for some of our politicians, right? Uh, uh, but, I mean, a normal person wouldn't want to go around with that kind of name yet. That was Jacob's name. It just simply meant heel grabber. And he came out and lost the lottery, didn't he? I mean, uh, his mother was pregnant with twins, but he came out last. Now, that doesn't seem like a very big deal uh, here, but in the Bible times, that was everything. The firstborn was supposed to carry on the family name. The firstborn was the one that was supposed to have all the responsibilities and all of these things. And and, uh, let's just uh, take chapter 25 and uh, uh, verse 27. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so we we have a man whose circumstances just weren't extremely positive in every situation. And so what was Jacob going to do? He's going to better himself. He's going to take care of some of those inequities. And so what's the first thing he does? If we pick up our, our, our reading here, we have the stories, verse 20, uh, 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 29 through 34, that uh, Jacob was in his tent cooking food, and Esau, uh, he was putting pottage. Now, I love my King James Bible because it's so simple. You look at a word like pottage and you say, what in the world is pottage? Very simple. It's what's in the pot. You will never forget the definition of pottage now that you've heard that, would you? Uh, I mean, that, that's how simple our Bible is. And so Jacob had pottage and uh, uh, apparently, uh, if we read the passage there, there's an inference that it was red and Esau had red hair and Esau had an affinity for red food, I guess. And uh, it was probably, people say, red lentils. And Jacob sees an opportunity here and he begins pulling the strings and living out the worst parts of his name. And he says, show me the birthright. Make me the firstborn legally. I I missed it in real life, but here is my opportunity to buy it back. I mean, if you can better yourself, shouldn't you take advantage of the opportunity? I mean, that's what the world tells us. But And Jacob bought the birthright with a bowl of beans. Actually, I imagine it was either a very large bowl of beans or several very large bowls of beans. I'm sure that Jacob at this point was so pleased with his good fortune and his manipulation that that he didn't care if Esau ate the whole pot. Uh, kind of like the, what was it, they traded uh, Manhattan Island for 25 bucks and a bag of beads. And, and, uh, and everybody says, wow, what a deal. 
Uh, I wouldn't want to buy Manhattan today, would you? Uh, what a mess. But anyway, we'll keep moving. And uh, so, then we get to chapter 27. And not only was Jacob manipulating things and moving things around, guess who else was? His mother. And Jacob was compliant in Mama's plot. And guess what? Everything worked, didn't it? Isaac blessed Jacob and thought he was Esau. But I want you to read, if you would, verse 33 with me. This is after Esau comes in and the deception has been discovered. In verse 33, and, and Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten of all before him and came and have blessed him. Now look at this last phrase. Yea, and he shall be blessed. I want you to understand something here. I've heard this passage preached so many times that Jacob stole the blessing because of Mama's uh, uh, manipulation. But the truth of the matter is, when Isaac discovered the deception, what did he do? He confirmed willfully the decision that had already been made. We have Isaac saying, listen... If I was able to be deceived to this point, I'm going to trust God that I was supposed to be deceived. I'm going to make the blessing. You see, Isaac, and we have this in our laws today. If somebody tricks you, how many of you gotten one of those calls? You just please sign up for uh, 88 uh, payments and you will receive... Or something like that, or it renews every month automatically for the rest of your life. And once you realize what's been done, you can call up the appropriate authorities and usually get that thing stopped somehow. Because there was deception involved. They used to do that to your phone, your phone bill all the time. Somebody call up and they'd say, I'm from such and such a company. You've just agreed to have our company take over your phone bill. And uh, finally, I, I, here at the church, we had so many of those things that I got a uh, uh, thing put on by the FCC or whatever. Nobody could change our, our bills. And, and uh, But the part here is, after Isaac realized that deception had played a part, he could have reversed course, couldn't he? Very legally, very rightfully so. But he didn't. You know what this shows us? That all of that angst and all of that manipulation and all of those things. Could you imagine Jacob going through wearing the goat skins on his arms and his neck and, and putting on brother's clothes and all of those things that he did and all the fear that was in his heart that he would be discovered and cursed. And when it was all said and done, Isaac said, I'm not worried about what happened. I'm going to go forward and Jacob gets the blessing. Now, what had Jacob just done? He got the birthright. He got everything that he had lost in the circumstances of life were now his. 
with the slight addition of the undying hatred and animosity of his older brother, who happened to be the best bozeman in the whole area and was overheard contemplating uh, Jacob's demise. You see, when we do things our way and forget who God is and what God is doing and how that he is there and he is in charge, this is what we get now, isn't it? And Jacob was about to receive his poetic justice, was he not? Jacob thought he was the great manipulator, the great uh, 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 the great enabler to get what he wanted, and then he met Laban. Jacob was not even considered an amateur compared to Laban. And all of the things that Laban would do. Sometimes uh, we use the, the phrase poetic justice or what comes around goes around. But before Jacob meets Laban, he meets somebody else. Let's go to Genesis chapter 28. And God shows up to Jacob in a dream. And verse 11, it says in he, of chapter 28, And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending Upon it, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land whereupon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee. And will keep thee in all the places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again unto this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Now, if God made a promise to you, how many of you would believe it? Say, well, why, why wouldn't I believe it? Of course I would believe it. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of us have been frustrated enough with life during this past week to forget the promise that's left us in Hebrews chapter 13 that Jesus says, I will be with thee, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So let's not be too hard on Jacob because we do the same thing now, don't we? And the reason why I'm just bringing this forth tonight is because I need to be reminded, you need to be reminded, we all need to be just simply reminded of something that we know, that the Holy Spirit of God is living in us, and He will keep us, He will give us everything we need to serve Him. And yet, how much of our life effort do we expend trying to help God out? And what good does it accomplish? 
Uh, I'll tell you, it doesn't accomplish much good. Uh, in fact, it just makes things worse. And so, here was Jacob's response to God's great promise. Verse 20, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God... Now, wait a minute. God just said He would. How does Jacob start it? If. Why? Because Jacob is still in charge here, isn't he? Jacob is the one trying to make things. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then... Now, now those two, two words in there, if and then, are terrible words, are they not? But Jacob's using them. Get down to the bottom here. God promises... Jacob, the same promises that he gave to Abraham. The land, the great seed, the great nations that will come from him, and ultimately the fulfillment of God's promise to Adam and Eve as they were cast out of the garden, that in thee shall all the families of the world be blessed. And he said, I'm going to be with you until I finish these things. And Jacob says, okay, God, if you're really serious, I'll be really serious. Now, exactly the opposite of the verses we read in Hebrews, isn't it? And what happens is, Jacob goes and he works for his father-in-law and he's there 21 years. And let's just... um, um, Uh, Skip up to chapter 31 if we can. Jacob is on his way home. He has decided that he is leaving Laban and he has a few ideas. And actually this is a whole other sermon. But, you know, we are afraid of that which we need not to be afraid of. And we're absolutely careless and fearless with that of which we ought to be afraid. I mean... You study this out. Do you know who Jacob really had to fear? It was Laban. Esau was the kind of guy that would blow up and then the next minute put his arm around you and you'd walk hand in hand. I mean, Esau didn't remember things long. But Laban did. Laban was the guy that never forgot. In fact, as we look through this here, we go down to verse 29 here. And, um, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, yeah, verse 29. Here's Laban speaking. It is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. And he was not talking about arm wrestling or any of those things. He was talking about murder. He was talking about death. He said, It is in the power of my hand to do you hurt, but the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. Now, if what Laban is saying here is neither good nor bad, I'd hate to be around Laban when he was talking bad. How about you? He said, It's in the power of my hand to kill you. But I'm not going to do it because God warned me to say something nice. That's not very nice. 
And Jacob ignores the entire thing and takes his father-in-law to task and starts ripping him up one side and down the other. You look here and, and, and we're not going to take time to read the whole thing, but verse 36, and Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban. I'll tell you what, that was not the best approach. Laban could have changed his mind very quickly if it hadn't been for God protecting Jacob. But Jacob seems to take no mind of that. And Jacob didn't even know that his own wife, Rachel, had stolen the family heirlooms. That was the actually the last will and testament. Whoever had those little gods that... Uh, that belonged to the family, had the right of the property and the family name, and Rachel had taken them. And Jacob, in his own anger and vehemence protesting, said, whoever has him, let him be killed. Who do you think protected? It wasn't Rachel's smartness. It was the Holy Spirit of God moving and protecting Jacob. And he wasn't paying a bit of attention to it. Then the next chapter, Esau comes with 400 men. Now Jacob's deathly afraid. And he's praying and he's, he's doing everything. And he divides everybody up and he takes this huge amount of flocks and divides them up in little parts and sends them and tells the servants to bow before Esau and to worship the ground on which he walks and Finally, he's all alone in the middle of the night. And I believe it was the Lord Jesus Christ shows up. He said he would never leave him nor forsake him. So what's Jacob do? He wrestles all night. Now, it's hard to use the word wrestling today because most people think of WWE or F or all of those there, there's no excuse for that foolishness if you, uh, wow, just need to grow up and get rid of that stuff. Amen? And, and uh, uh, yet, real wrestling is an art. In fact, real wrestling is one of the most physical, physically draining things that can happen. If you've ever seen the Olympic wrestlers go at it with each other. I remember watching one contest and uh, this guy lost. And here's this 200 and some odd pound man. Solid muscle finishing this wrestling match. And he loses and he breaks down and cries like a little girl. Because he is so exhausted from this thing. I mean, here we have Jacob wrestling all night and finally to in order to put an end to the to the match Jesus touches his hip and shrivels the sinew and for the rest of his life Jacob's going to drag one leg behind him You know what I think or wouldn't you think that would help Jacob to remember, I will be with you until I brought all these things to pass? But it doesn't work now, does it? 
You see, we have Jacob with all of his children. And let's turn to chapter 37 and verse 2. It says, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. And Jacob did nothing about it. Jacob was not a good father. He was too busy trying to deal with his own life and his own shortcomings and his own things. You know, this is one of the keys to simply being a good father is spend time with your kids. Your life is not about you. Mothers, you want to be a good mother? Spend time with your kids. That's, that's, at, at, that's as simple as it gets. And Jacob missed that. Why? Because he's too busy pursuing other things. And so, uh, Joseph is sold into slavery because of the animosity that has developed between his children because dad wasn't there dealing with things as he should. And we come here in verse 34 of chapter 37, And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned, For his son many days, and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. You know what? Jacob just couldn't trust God, could he? Just couldn't do it. And we finally have a surrender of types. In uh, Let's go to chapter 43. Now, this is the second trip into Egypt. Jacob doesn't know this, but this is the trip that's going to result in the restoration of all of his sons. Simeon has been in jail there in the land of Egypt the entire time, possibly upwards of a year at this point. We... Uh, don't have the exact time. And finally, in uh, verse 11, And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds, And take double money in your hand, and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand, peradventure that it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, and go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. What a statement of faith. Is that faith? Well, the Bible says it only takes a grain of a mustard seed. I think you might find a grain in there if you really search diligently. Because he let Benjamin go. He finally just said, I I give up. You know something? 
Wouldn't it be better if we started with I give up? And I'll just trust Jesus because he said he's going to be with me. And I'll take that list of things that I really desire out of life. And I'll just give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, let's go to uh, chapter 45. They're now coming back. Verse 25. Benjamin and Simeon are there. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Isn't that an amazing statement there? That's just one of those things that always, uh, every time I read through this passage, I just stop there. And when he saw the wagons, he heard the testimony. He knew that God said he would always be with him. He had seen the hand of God for now 130 years of his life. And it wasn't until he saw the wagons. Could I, could I challenge you? We need to pray about this. God, I don't want to be one of the guys waiting for the wagons. How about you? Yeah, it's, maybe it's a little harder to trust the Lord with things we don't see and things we don't understand. But I'll tell you, when we get down to chapter 47, and this will be the last one, we'll go back to Proverbs and we'll be done here. Chapter 47, in verse 7, And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are an hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. You know, there ought to be something in our hearts that says, I don't want to be Jacob. I just don't want to end up there. Let's go back to the book of Hebrews here. Because these verses are intended to keep us from ending up like Jacob. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Let's not be driven by the things that we want. And be content with such things as ye have. That doesn't mean that we, we can't improve ourselves. We can't take a step up. We can't do this. We should, the Bible tells us in many other places, we should be diligent in our labor. We should be, uh, uh, how are you going to be a good testimony for who Jesus is doing a lousy job? Well, we ought to work very hard on these things, but that, not, that ought not be the driving force of our life. I'll be 
content where Jesus keeps me. Why? Because Jesus has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Jesus says, I'm going to be there. And here's our testimony that we want. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I remember praying before there ever was an open-door Bible Baptist church for anybody knew anything about us except my wife and I were praying that God would send us here to start a church. She said, God, would you let us do something that would be big enough that only you could get credit for it? I think the Lord's answered that prayer in many ways. You see... When we stop and we want a testimony that only God can do what is done. God likes that. He honors those things. He does that. It says here, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Wouldn't that be a great way to live? Is to trust in the Lord and not be afraid of men. How many people live in fear? I went into a church one time many years ago and all the preacher was talking about was, we're going to be ready when it happens. And I found out that he had bought a riot tank from the Detroit Police Department, left over from the 60s, and he was going to outfit that thing. And when he found out that I, I knew how to do uh, automobile fabrication and those kinds, he said, can you help me with that, man? I was getting out of there as fast as I could. I, uh, I, I put him on to an army surplus place where he could find anything that his little heart desired and I got me out of there and never even called back and asked them if they wanted to help us because I, I don't want that kind of help. You know what? I want the Lord to be my helper. How about you? We looked at Jacob's life. Now, Jacob, still, we're going to see him in heaven. Amen? And, and he's got over all that thing, and God brought him through all of those failures, and maybe our life tends to... Uh, follow the line of Jacob a whole lot more than we wish it would. But could we just pray tonight as individuals, as a church? Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Are you content with Jesus? And then, once you're content with Jesus, then we can let Him do the moving and let Him do the work so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we ask that you would take these two little verses and help us work in our hearts, Lord. It is so easy to take 
even a portion of our life and give it to the pursuit of things. When if we would just pursue Thee and Thee alone, all the things would be taken care of. Lord, I pray that You would help us remember the life of Jacob. and Lord, the heartache and the turmoil and the struggle that he caused himself and others. And Lord, that You would give us the ability not to follow his bad example, but to use that example to challenge us to live satisfied with Thee and Thee alone. We ask You to work during this time of invitation. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.